over Underworld. Underworld 2. From the Millennium Falcon, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who know that's no moon, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Thank you, Corey. We loves us a good Empire Strikes Back reference. Who threw that one our way, Corey? That was brought to you by Eric Altieri. His hyperdrive is down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very nice. So, uh, Mark, have you been watching the Olympics? I have not. I have not watched any of the Olympics. Did I, you, you know, you... I, I was, I, I've never been an Olympics guy. I don't really care. God love them. You know, they're all very talented. Yeah. My, my young cousin but, was like that close a, to being an Olympic archer. But you're a Danny Boyle fan. Danny Boyle directed the four-and-a-half-hour opening ceremony. I, I heard it was terrible, and you watched every second of it, didn't you? And Bass you know, and his terribleness. Honestly, it was, um, <clears throat> it was like the worst Super Bowl halftime show I've ever seen, and it just didn't end. It, it, was, it was the longest Super Bowl halftime show. Oh, it was show. ridiculous. It was four-and-a-half hours long, and NBC still cut it. They still cut out this, this tribute to the victims of 7-7. Which was, it was like a big controversy because apparently it was the most moving part of the evening and NBC cut it out on the, uh, the delayed replay. I wonder why they did that. Because they don't want the sponsors to think that they did it because they don't want the Olympic sponsors don't want to think that suddenly the opening ceremony has become a bummer, which means they're going to turn the channel and they're not going to watch the commercial that they oh, paid $100,000 oh, yeah. 100, billion dollars a second for. Yeah, because the, the, the tribute to, the, to Britain's National Institutes of Health was really, that's a real uplift. When all the nurses came out looking like they were treating people for a cholera epidemic. That was fabulous. <laughs> Mr. Bean during – I mean, you, you seriously have no idea what you missed. It included Kenneth Branagh in a top hat reciting, reciting Shakespeare. Uh, Mr. Bean playing the keyboards and, and starring in a, a comical wacky wacky uh, riff on Chariots of Fire. Um, and uh, Paul McCartney showing up looking old and jolly. I mean, it was like, What? Really? This is what does this mean? None it's a of this celebration of the Olympic spirit. No, it isn't. It was like it was like. Look, this is what it means to be British. It means uh, old Beatles, Mr. Bean, Shakespeare, Kenneth Branagh, and uh, Daniel Craig and the Queen jumping out of a out of a helicopter. I mean, it, it what? It was it's insane. Now, now, now the Chinese. They well, did it right. Well, they did it right, but they got Zhang Yimou to do it. I mean, Zhang Yimou, look, Danny Boyle is a film guy. He's not a live event guy. I know he's done some live stuff, but that's not his forte. Zhang Yimou has done some tremendous live stuff. He's directed opera. You know, he's, and he, Danny he understands not a, that. He's not really a spectacle guy either. No. You've got, like, anybody on the West End, the people who put on the Glastonbury for crying out loud, hire them to do it. Oh, gosh. What a mess. Well, who, uh, who gets the next one? Who gets 2014? Ooh. Uh, 2014 is uh, Rio de Janeiro. Oh, that's gonna be some dancing. You better believe it. Some topless chicks. You got it. Gotta love the uh, the way the Brazilians put on a show. Uh, by the way, check out my arm. What happened to your arm? <laughs> Why is there bruises all over it? That's disgusting. <laughs> you didn't tell me that. I saved it. I saved the good stuff for the show, like you do. Yeah, right. Right. Who is that? It's horrible. Isn't that awesome? No, <laughs> your, your your forearm is completely black and blue. Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> yeah, I, I went to the doctor and had some blood taken, just the usual blood test. But I, apparently, I, even though I've done this a million times, you're supposed to have your arm straight, right? When you right. get the blood. I didn't. I was bent a little bit, and I guess every once in a while it will nick an artery, and you'll, you'll get like some kind of bleeding inside the arm. 
Ew. You hurt? <laughs> it hurt like hell. Really? <laughs> I couldn't even extend my arm for a day. Because it's bleeding inside your arm. Yeah, it was nasty. And then somehow, like, how did your blood absorb? I don't know. How did your arm absorb? Like, all that blood goes into the, <laughs> under the surrounding tissue? What happens to it? I have no idea. Someone emails. It, 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 <laughs> is, is there a doctor in the house? Email us at gods at digigods.com. And when you have an, an artery break in your body, yeah. where does the blood go? Truly, though, doesn't it look like I'm the next step in human evolution? <laughs> it looks like you're a step backwards in human evolution. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant. Okay. Um, you know what? We need, to, um, we need to deal with some kid vid. We haven't talked about the kids in a long time, Mark. And, uh, well, you know what? Before we talk about the kids, let's just roll through through some uh, compilation things. You know, Marilyn Monroe has been largely absent in the world of Blu-ray for a while. And uh, this is a really interesting release from 20th Century Fox, who, of course, releases all the Fox films and MGM films. So they've got a good collection of uh, Marilyn stuff from both MGM and Fox. And they have released Forever Marilyn, which is a seven-disc set split into uh, two different books, which are basically just two different inserts inside the set. But um, the films included are Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, How to Marry a Millionaire, River of No Return, There's No Business Like Show Business, The Seven-Year Itch, Some Like It Hot, and The Misfits. Uh, The latter two have been out on Blu-ray already, Some Like It Hot and The Misfits, which are not typically considered Marilyn Monroe movies. I mean, Some Like It Hot is, you know, she's in it, but she doesn't own the movie. It's an ensemble. And it's, uh, you know, Billy Wilder mainly. But, uh, you know, what? I got to say uh, Seven Year Itch and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, getting those two on Blu-ray finally, that's pretty great. That is great. And uh, How to Marry a Millionaire, River of No Return, No Business Like Show Business, uh, which is, you know, good, but not as good as it should be. Um, this is a nice, a really nice set. What I find interesting here is it's all uh, digipacked in a package that is exactly the same size and form factor as a DVD, even though these are Blu-rays. And uh, we were just reading a thing about how Blu-ray sales have increased 13% over the same period last year, which is like salvaging the uh, the home uh, home entertainment business. I mean, Blu-ray is really, it's finally kind of catching a groove. And I think it's really interesting and very symbolic of that, that now Fox is really less concerned about making sure that people don't confuse this with DVD. This is this is Blu-ray, and it's not. There's nothing on it that actually indicates that it's Blu-ray, unless you look for the little Blu-ray logo on the spine and on the back. Otherwise, it's assumed it's Blu-ray. I think that's kind of turning a corner. Well, at some point, everything will have to be on Blu-ray. There's no yeah. excuse to have something on DVD. But normally, you want people to. If people accept that there's still this bifurcated market, DVDs and Blu-rays, they're looking to see. Oh my gosh, is that a Blu-ray or a DVD? Because Blu-rays come in the little blue package. Right. If we're kind of turning a corner now where people just see something that's new and they assume that it's Blu-ray, at least if Fox thinks that they're going to, which seems to be the intimation because there's nothing. I mean, look, what tells you this is Blu-ray? Uh, only on the spine. See? That that's is it. it. That nothing. is all. So, I mean, it's, it, to me, that's an interesting shift. And I have to believe that Fox did not do that without uh, doing their research. There's no little band. There's no bar. There's no big Blu-ray uh, logo. Nothing. It just, it, you know, you really have to look for it. So I think they, they're assuming that if people see it, they're just going to default and say, oh, great, a new Maryland must be Blu-ray, which is really turning a corner, I think. I hope so, because you know what? Uh, the idea is that when once, Blu- once Blu-ray starts penetrating the flyover states, like once uh, in, in all the farms and churches of America, there yep. are Blu-rays, then yep. Blu-ray will have officially won. Absolutely. And then we've also got a uh, TCM Turner Classic Movies Greatest Classic Legends collection release. These come out every so often, both uh, for, you know, classic legends on stars and classic uh, 
movies and genres. You know, it's it's a TCM, an ongoing TCM thing. And this is the Kirk Douglas Drama Collection, which includes uh, the amazing Lust for Life, the extraordinary The Bad and the Beautiful, the somewhat negligible Young Man with a Horn, and the uh, why the hell is this on there before I forget? Um, now, Mark... Lust for Life is great. Yes, he plays he plays Vincent Van Gogh, directed by Vincent Minnelli. Amazing movie. Really a beautiful film. One of the great performances by uh, Kirk Douglas ever. And, you know, he was berated by John Wayne for playing that. John Wayne berated a lot of people for playing a lot of roles. But John Wayne actually said to Kirk Douglas, he goes, what are you doing playing a painter? That, exactly. <laughs> what are you doing playing a liberal? <laughs> Guys like you and me, we're not supposed to play painters. He truly, he said that. But, Kirk you know, Douglas thought that was hysterical. John Wayne was John Wayne <laughs> off camera, too. And uh, Bad and the Beautiful, of course, is is just a, one of the most brilliant, caustic looks at uh, at Hollywood on the inside that has just ever been made. It's an absolutely fantastic film. Um, the uh, Young Man with a Horn, you know, it's one of those uh, angst-ridden musician movies that uh, they made a lot of at the time, which is significant only because it's uh, it's got some, you know, cool Hoagie Carmichael music in it. But then again, so does the Flintstones. And before I forget, I had never even heard of, and I, this is kind of weird that this is on here, before I forget, it was made three years ago. And this is just Kirk Douglas just basically telling his life to an audience. Well, he had a one-man show in Culver City. That's what it is. Oh, that, that's that's the, it. Got it. Yeah. That's so he, it. And I think he was like 90 or 89 when he did it. He did that show. Well, this is from 2009. So, But I think he was 90 years old and did that Something. Well, what, what's the show called? Before I Forget. Before I forget. Yeah, and I mean, this is all you know, sort of post-stroke, and I'm I'm thrilled that he did it. But it, you know, you're you're looking at the the Kirk Douglas drama collection. Uh, that should be an extra, not one of the films. I'm sorry, yeah. but that should be the bonus. Uh, there should be another movie on here. So um, Warner Brothers, I think you kind of well T- Turner really. Uh, Warner Brothers is just releasing this, but Turner, you kind of dropped the ball there. You, you need another movie. Ninety-two. He was ninety-two years old when he did Before I Forget. Yeah, that's not acceptable. That's right, it's, have, it's we, great, but it should be an extra. Who cares? We have too much other stuff to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Mystery. Okay, I have I have a message. Yeah. <laughs> I have a message to the people at Chat. Where are my glasses? I have a message to the people at Chat Factory. Yeah. I understand Mystery Science Theater is fantastic, and I love it, and there's a new release every other week. You got it, put it on Blu-ray. Forget the DVD already. Enough with the DVD. I know. Right? Yeah. Stop it. That, that's... You can put a whole season of this show on like one you know, you know, multi-Blu-ray yeah, set. Know. On two Blu-rays. Look, these are horrible movies anyway. They're, 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 they're four by three, black and you. white. They look like crap. Yeah, I know. You can put a whole season on one Blu-ray probably. Yeah, so stop with the DVDs. Yeah. And it's cluttering up my, my, my uh, DVD, uh, Blu-ray shelf. This is Mystery Science uh, Theater Volume XXIV. That's 24. Thank you. And this one includes uh, Fugitive Alien, Star Force, Sword and the Dragon, Samson versus the Vampire Women, which is the funniest one. Now, this also has a couple shorts, and you know how much I love the shorts, but one of the shorts here, A Date, in the, a date with Your Family, is on YouTube. Yeah. So it's like... Why? If yeah, it was on Blu-ray, I guess, I don't know, it doesn't matter. It's still an industrial. So A Day With Your Family, it was an industrial about how to have dinner with your family. Yeah. And uh, it's hilarious. It's one of the best shorts. That, that one and um, the one where, the, one where the, uh, the guy plays the uh, uh, used car salesman. I love that short. Where they have a guy who teaches his protege how to sell oh, yeah, used yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called, I think it's called Made or something. And, yeah. there, and, and there was Made Part 2. Uh, anyway, point being, these are hilarious. Uh, 
the uh, Samson versus the Vampire Women, the funniest one. The shorts are available on YouTube, which is disappointing. And Shout Factory, we love these things. We love them. Keep them coming. We put them on Blu-ray. We are going to go into some kid vid now and uh, blow through it real quickly. Mark's going to – Mark made new cookies, by the way. Very oh, nice ones. They were good. They were good. So I'll blow through some kid vid real quick, and then later on we're going to have a Vox Box and uh, try to squeeze in some listener mail as well. Uh, some Marvel animated stuff. A couple more from the uh, anime Marvel, which is always interesting. One is Blade, and the other is Wolverine. And uh, these have a certain following. And uh, you know what? I, I, the, the whole anime look suits the Marvel world very nicely, especially uh, Wolverine. I think Wolverine, uh, you know, he... Um, He's almost like an anime character, actually. The, the whole um, everything about X Men mutant D stuff is it fits very well with the anime look. Blade looks a little bit like they just tried to do an anime version of the movies, which is uh, a little bit lacking. Uh, the movies are great, and I'm not so keen on on this one particularly. But the the look is it's a nice change from what they usually put on television. And then we also have. Um, the latest release of Iron Man Armored Adventures, Season 2, Volume 1, which is, uh, you know, good animation, decent, but uh, once you've watched the anime stuff, you kind of go, mm, maybe they should be uh, taking a, a cue from the Japanese, or at least the Japanese look. But this is uh, the first six episodes of Season 2, and uh, all of this is just designed to really just get a little bit of traction from the movies. We've also got some actual anime stuff here. Uh, this is uh, all courtesy of Funimation who always does really, really cool stuff. And they, uh, you know, Funimation is kind of the, the, there used to be a whole bunch of companies that released a lot of anime, and uh, Funimation kind of now owns the roost. They really do. Uh, there's, there's Viz and Funimation and not really anybody else. And Funimation here has uh, the complete first season of Strike Witches, which is, uh, you know, something about the Japanese and young girls with cat ears or fox ears or animal ears. I'm not quite sure what that fetish is all about. It's very strange. Uh, but this is a World War II thing. It takes place in 1944. And um, you know what? Flying kind of like cyborg girls with uh, kitty ears. It's very strange. Not sure I understand it. Uh, the Sacred Blacksmith, which is a, uh, a really, really popular uh, show relatively recently. Uh, I know a lot of people that love this. I have watched a few of these. I Like many of these shows, I don't understand what's going on. It totally, totally throws me for a loop. It's kind of like uh, medieval, magical, cyber-futuristic, retro-historical adventure stuff. Don't get it. But it's really well done, beautifully made. Some cool extras on here, uh, especially the, uh, the episode previews from the original Japanese show. And the artwork is great. The artwork is, and the animation is absolutely terrific. But the top of the heap is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, the complete collection two, episodes 34 through uh, 30, 64. And uh, likewise, I really don't know what's going on in here, but artistically, this thing is head and shoulders above almost anything else. It is, uh, it is just mind-boggling. And uh, this is, there are a number of volumes out on this, and this is just absolutely sensational looking. I mean, even if you don't know what's going on, it's great. And the Strike Witches set, by the way, is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack. The others are just DVD. Wait, I want to uh, propose a SmackDown. Possibly the ultimate SmackDown. Trans- and what would that be? Transformers Prime versus Gem and the Holograms. Um, I'm putting my money on Gem and the Holograms. Gem and the Holograms is a uh, animated show from the 80s. And uh, season three is on um, DVD for some reason. The show is terrible. You know, th- putting this out on DVD re- and, and Shout Factory, and, you know, Chef Factory always, they dig up these crazy old things and put them out. But 
having this out, especially season three, on DVD reminds me of like when DVD first hit and everybody was releasing everything I know. on DVD. Yeah. Didn't matter what it was. No. Now, frankly, they really should have just released Jim and the Holograms, the whole series. I mean, they only ran for like four or five seasons. Just I know. the whole damn thing. I know. I mean, you're really going to put this out? You put some long-forgotten 30-year-old show out on DVD one season at a time? Stop that. Yeah, I know. Anyway, that's Jim and the Holograms. Terrible. Um, Transformers Prime. One shall stand. Now, you got to understand something about uh, this uh, computer animated Thigma uh, uh, Bob, which is this is not an original movie. It's called a feature length presentation. And the oh. reason they call it that is because they took seven episodes of they seasons one and two. And mashed them all together. And they mashed them all together into Whatever. one narrative. Whatever. Exactly. So I don't really like the, uh, the animation. It's, 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 some of the detail in the robots is good. It's like scuff marks when they get into fights and stuff. But the, uh, but the human animation is just, is just really kind of 2D and kind of flat looking. I'm not really into it. The, um, yes. Oh, the uh, voice acting is pretty good. Frank Welker. Yeah. Ernie Hudson. Yeah, we love Come Ernie. On. I've loved Ernie Hudson ever since he did uh, The Human Tornado with uh, uh, Rudy Ray Moore. You're out of your mind. Yep. Um, anyway, the story is the story is written by uh, R- uh, Robert Orsi and uh, Alex Kurtzman, who wrote the movies. Good grief! And uh, Transformers Prime they, they One shall stand. But if you already have the other, uh, uh, if, if you already have season one and two of the show, you don't really need this. Got it. I'm going to go through some itty bitty kid stuff, Mark. This is uh, strictly for the little ones, so we're not going to spend too much time on this because the little ones don't listen to our show; their parents do. Thank you, Wade. So here we go. I'm not going to torture Mark with too much of this. Uh, Thomas and Friends, you know, they're the, they're the creepy little CGI uh, train people. Uh, this is a schoolhouse delivery, and uh, it's still creepy. I, uh, you know, all these things kind of in the wake of Teletubbies, which I know everyone else finds creepy, but I find endearing. I, I find all of it you really... You used to call me and go, you used to sing the praises of the Teletubbies. I love the Teletubbies Without so any sense of irony or sarcasm, just, or you were, you were it was, I When I saw that accidentally one day with the, with the baby face in the sun and it was giggling, I, it, was, it was all over. <laughs> It was like it was like this this unbelievable acid trip of a show that was just uh, phenomenal. Uh, then we also have Barney, all about opposites. I got to tell you, um, you know this this whole is the same person still playing Barney? Oh, I don't know. Uh, that'd be just it's creep, just truly creepy. I, uh, by the way, when I was at the doctor's office the other day, there was there was some people there with this little girl and the little girl because my doctor shares like an office with a uh, a. Um, Pediatrician. Pediatrician. And there's a little girl there, and she had like a little portable video thing that had Barney running on it. And I thought, it's bad enough that people use Barney as a babysitter at home. Now they bring the babysitter along and they just hear, watch Barney. Watch it in the car. Watch it wherever you go. Don't take your eyes off it. Whatever shuts the kid up. My gosh. Anyway, um, that's why I like Death, Death to Smoochie. Just a great movie. Such an underrated comedy. So anyway, uh, this is just, you know, this is about big, little, stop, go, here, there, me, you, up, down, inside, outside. It's just, it's, it's really remedial stuff. And if you're an adult or if you're, well, let's say if you're over four years old, this will just, you'll, you'll have an aneurysm and you'll, you'll hate every second of it. But the fact that he's a big purple dinosaur, I guess, is amusing to some people. Uh, a couple of Dora the Explorer uh, releases here from Nickelodeon, Dora's Rescue in Mermaid Kingdom. Now, I've never been able to watch Dora ever since uh, Smigel did that spoof on Saturday Night Live. And I, all, I, all Dora is, needs to do is open her mouth, and I hear Smigel doing that, that thing. It just That, that was great. so outrageously funny, just so irreverent. So I can't take this stuff seriously anymore. But 
you know what? I know a lot of kids that really, really love this stuff. And uh, in this one, Dora's a mermaid. And, uh, you know, Boots is a sea monkey Boots. And uh, it's all about the, the ocean. Yeah, what do you want? And then this one's much more in tune with the Olympics. This is Dora's Fantastic Gymnastics Adventure. Yay, Mark. Look, she's doing rhythmic gymnastics. They couldn't have her just do normal gymnastics, like which is an actual Olympic sport. It had to be rhythmic gymnastics with, yeah, the, well, with, the, with the ribbon. Well, yeah, but My it's goodness. the Olympics, and you want to get uh, young girls caring about yeah, the Olympics. I guess. Rhythmic gymnastics, the ribbon stuff, the, yes. the prancing around with the ribbons and the, and yes, the sticks. Yes, because what, what, what Nickelodeon wants, Nickelodeon wants kids to uh, ask their parents yeah. for like ri- like rhythmic gymnastic ribbons for their birthdays, mm-hmm. and then they'll run around the house with a rhythmic ribbon, knocking over vases and plants, and uh, pissing off their parents. Okay. Well, anyway, this is uh, this will this will this will get them doing that. So uh, you know. Uh, Elmo, we of course like Elmo more and more now that we know that Elmo is a middle-aged, you know, like six foot two black man. Um, based on uh, that documentary, suddenly Elmo, I'm all about Elmo. I don't make fun of Elmo anymore. Elmo impresses the hell out of me. Elmo represents the American dream. And uh, this is two complete Elmo episodes on a title called Elmo's Magic Numbers. And uh, you know what? It's it, There's over two hours here of, of Elmo and numbers and math, and unless you're three years old, it'll your eyes will glaze over. But uh, it's fine for the kids. Uh, Timmy Time creeps me out, but the animation is, is, is really good. Uh, that's because this comes from the people over at Ardman. So you get that wonderful Ardman animation wrapped around a very, very disturbing uh, narrative or, uh, you know, a very disturbing world, we should say. Um, most of these kids' shows are wrapped around a disturbing world, and this, you know, the whole black sheep thing of Timmy uh, is is a little bit creepy, and all of the other creatures are creepy, but you, you get around it, you watch it, and even if you're not a kid, adults can watch this and go, yeah, cool, it's the Wallace and Gromit guys. Uh, there are five episodes here. This is from the people at Hit, who distribute through Lionsgate, and I would probably say that's one of the least offensive of any of these. Getting near the end here, Angelina Ballerina. Um, these these ballet mice. This is also from Hit. I, this is, I've never been able to get around this. It just it makes me want to kill someone. And then lastly, we've got um, another thing that's sort of peripherally related to uh, Thomas and Friends. This is Awesome Adventures Volume Two, which is really just a, comb- a compilation of a number of these uh, these shows that are done by Hit. It includes a couple of Thomas and Friends, one uh, two episodes of Fireman Sam, and then two episodes from Bob the Builder. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all that same kind of creepy CGI animation. I, uh, I, I'm more forgiving of Bob the Builder just because I know a guy named Bob who actually is a builder. So that's a running joke with us. But otherwise, uh, you know, for, for people who are, whose children are already, have already been sucked into the vortex. And then lastly, uh, from Nickelodeon, I actually have a fond spot in my heart for Bubble Guppies. It's a cute title. And uh, this is a fairy tale TV movie, as they dub it on the uh, the bubble guppies. Now, a lot of this is clearly borrowed from other material, including, among other things, Pixar movies and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff from Nickelodeon. Uh, so it's very, very derivative, but um, you know what? It's, um, it, it, it's, it's cute, it's decently animated, and uh, the writing is not uh, so egregiously offensive that adults will want to uh, shoot themselves in the head. So bubble guppies is good for the kids. Bubble guppies! Um, I have another SmackDown idea. The Bubble Guppies versus the Power Rangers Samurai. How many Power Rangers shows have there been now? It's, it's, all, it's out of control. As many as will buy Haim Saban all the Rolls Royces and theaters he wants. You know, Haim Saban puts his name on a, uh, on, on a Jewish uh, theater. 
right here in Beverly Hills, Wilshire and uh, the one on Wilshire and La Cienega. That's now called like the like the Saban Theater. All because of one show. That's amazing. All all because of being smart enough to buy this guy hundreds looked... of episodes of a Japanese show of like twenty years ago and then like update it with you know <sighs> you brief American shot interludes. That's just unbelievable. Well, now we have Power Rangers Samurai, and you know the show isn't getting any better. It's just it's just introducing Can't get any worse. It's just introducing another generation to Power Rangers stuff because the old stuff is seen as like, oh, that's my older brother watches. I don't want to watch that. So he just keeps supplying them just to get a new generation into it. Whatever. Anyway, so there's two uh, Power Rangers Samurai uh, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2. One's called, Volume 1's called uh, The Team Unites. That's the first four episodes of of that season. And then the other one is Volume 2 called A New Enemy, which is four uh, four continuing episodes. Got so it. um, it's all much crap, but you know what? Uh, I'm not 12 years old anymore. I used to be. Uh, Adventure Time is one of the most deeply disturbing shows on Cartoon Network, and this is the complete first season. I uh, I, I just really don't know what people see in this, but it, it's so it's it, it's so minimalistic, and it's so kind of uh, contrary to what animation should be. It's not even like South Park. It sort of says, you know what, we're going to strip everything down to the bone and we are going to make these characters not so excessively drawn that they're grotesque. We're going to make them so sparsely drawn that they almost don't even look human. It's almost like stick figures running around. Something really creepy about that. But uh, you know what? They they somehow have made it work because it's apparently popular enough that uh, a lot of people's children tune in and uh, turn into psychos once a week. So anyway, this is Adventure Time, the complete first season. Uh, I, Wade finds it disturbing. <clears throat> All 26 episodes, and uh, there's a special feature on here that I did not watch because I it just it gives me the hives and I start to have uh, bad bad night bad night sleeps. Anyway, uh, the, uh, here on the total other end of the spectrum is uh, Babar, the complete first season. I Baber love... Deffelent? Oh. Baber Deffelent? I love Babar. I grew up with Babar. This is what animation should be. Babar, you know, is a, is a classic uh, French um, comic book. And the, uh, I grew up with these things. They're wonderful. They're beautifully drawn. And, uh, you know, the, the, the essence of what Laurent de Brunhoff did in the, uh, the original That's books. That's why you like it, because it's French. Totally. It's just oh wonderful. God. If it was American, you'd hate it. If it was American, it was the same exact animation, same script, same... Even, even if it was just, American and in French, you'd still hate it. It's so sweet. It won't turn your children into psychopaths like all this other stuff. Uh, there's nothing, you know, weird or freakish here. It's just really sweet, really well done, nicely written. 13 episodes on two discs, and your children will be so, so sweet and so docile after watching this. So everything else that I've mentioned, just forget about it. Just go with Babar. Baber Deffelent? Totally. Oh, are we almost done with the kid stuff? Yeah, this we're, is we're, really we're right, right at the end. Okay. iCarly, the complete fourth season. This is not animated, by the way. This is about uh, girl In case who, you didn't uh, know that. Creates her own web show with her best friends. And this thing keeps going. You know what's, you know what's interesting about a lot of these Disney and Nickelodeon shows? That they're all about kids trying to be famous. I know. Not like they're all about kids who try to, like Sonny with a Chance, kids try to be famous. Have I shown you my arm? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, all right, whatever. iCarly, uh, complete fourth season. This is no better or worse than any other iCarly season, and uh, who cares? Yeah. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life, season three. This thing is, um, it's, it's got very funky, cool animation, and uh, it was created by Joe Murray, who did uh, Camp Laszlo, which was also kind of popular. And this one is not so bad. I kind of like it because the animation is very John Chris Felucci. John Chris Felucci-esque. Crick Felucci-esque. John Crick Felucci-esque. 
So I do appreciate it for that, although uh, uh, it's still ultimately for kids. Rocco's Modern Life, Season 3. Hey Arnold, is uh, see this is Season 2, Part 2, two-disc set. This is the show about uh, the, the kid with the football-shaped head. Not Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. This is Arnold. And, uh, you know, people, uh, kids love this show. And, you know, it's got, it's got a lot of good voice acting. Dan Castellanet is on it from The Simpsons. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of it because uh, I think the, people, the kids are strange-looking, and I'm not eight years old anymore. But uh, there you go. Now we have one more, Wade. And that's not, I'm assuming that's not Dan versus the Volcano? A film, by the way, I, I, I tolerate. I think that film is fine. I do, too. Dan, uh, what's his name? Uh, Joe versus the Volcano? Joe versus the Volcano, yeah. Directed by John Patrick uh, Shanley. Shanley. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Dan versus is, uh, is a show that uh, actually is a, it's a Flash animated series, and now Ooh. it's on uh, DVD. Does that look okay? Huh? The Flash, anim- Flash animation? Well, it was created in Flash Animation. Oh, okay. And now it's been transferred to Blu-ray, uh, to DVD, and released on DVD. So obviously there's not a whole lot of detail. It's not like 30 frames per second sort of stuff. Um, in fact, one of the bonus features is animatics for one of the episodes. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, the voice casting is good. Paget Brewster's in it. Also, Curtis Armstrong uh, plays Dan. Now, Curtis Armstrong, for those who do not know, played Booger. In Revenge of the Nerds. Ah, yes. Come on, right. Booger, Revenge of the Nerds. Anyway, this this show Wasn't is... He, he, was, he was also uh, on um, Moonlighting. He was? Yes. What are you doing Moonlighting? He was, uh, he was the, 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 the office guy on Moonlighting. I, 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 I had no idea. Yeah, never mind. Spock. Move on. Anyway, um, all right, this show, it's, it's cute, but again, it's basically a, it's basically a web show. Uh, it's 22, like, missions, and uh, it's cute. You know, Dave Foley's in it, too. Uh, but again, it's not great animation. It's not 30 frames a second animation, but it's kind of violent and kind of funny as they fight like the jerk. Uh, it's Dan versus the jerk oh, is you. most of the season. Okay. All right, Mark. We'll, uh, we'll, before we carry on with the rest of the show, we've got some docs and some foreign and some new films and a lot of great stuff and some, some classics. Uh, I think we should uh, give our friend Alexander Berlika in, uh, in the faraway land of Belarus a chance to deliver our latest Vox Box. What? Don't, what? What? Don't I get to sing the song? Yeah, that's your cue. Oh. It's Foxbox. Hi, Wade and Mark. It's Alexander Burlicka once again. And uh, here's my question. It has to do a little bit with uh, the DGA and its uh, regulations. So I was reading uh, about the making of Return of the Jedi the other day. And, uh, of course, there was this whole conflict between George Lucas and the Directors Guild of America, which resulted in him uh, leaving the DGA. And uh, because of that, according to some sources, uh, Lucas was unable to hire Steven Spielberg as the director of Jedi because he was a member of the DGA, so he was not allowed. So this brings me to the question. If uh, he could not work with Spielberg on a movie that he was producing and which was done through Lucasfilm, how was he able to get him for uh, the sequels to Raiders of the Lost Ark? Did it have to do with the fact that uh, production on Raiders had begun while uh, Lucas was still a member of the DGA and they had some kind of a sequel rule or something? Or is it something completely different? Regardless, uh, I would be very grateful if you guys could uh, shed some light on this whole situation. Much gratitude in advance, and as always, keep up the great work. Leave it to Alexander to open up just a can of worms that would take until the end of the show for us to even try to sort through all the details. Well, okay, let's... There's two parts to this. The the first part is that Spielberg's hiring or potential hiring has nothing to do with 
why Lucas quit the DGA. No. No. I mean, well, first of all, we have to differentiate something. The, the Star Wars, Lucas owns the Star Wars films. And 20th Century Fox is simply contracted to be the distributor. But Lucas owns those films outright. And, and that was one of the great stupid things that 20th Century Fox did is they allowed him to buy it back. Uh, or at least retain principal ownership of it, thinking that it wasn't going to be worth anything. So um, they thought that they're, you know, that, that they were getting a great deal by getting out of it, uh, having him pay them back, and then you know they would just take a distribution fee. The the Paramount owns the uh, Indiana Jones franchise, so the signatory, the Guild signatory in that case, is a different company. Uh, so it doesn't matter that they're both George Lucas ser- series. It's a different signatory. So Lucas himself is not a DGA signatory. And so anything that Lucasfilm does, presumably at this point, and since then, although I think there are, there are technically are some exceptions that he's done with other studios, things like, uh, what was the thing with the midget? Um, you know what I'm talking about. Howard the Duck. The Ron Howard thing. <laughs> no, the Ron Howard directed thing. With, with the, the midget? With, with the midget, the midget guy. It was the big fantasy oh, thing. Oh, uh, Willow. Willow, thank you. I think that was a different deal as, as well. I'm so politically incorrect. Um, but uh, in this case, yeah, Lucasfilm is the, the principal signatory company with the guilds for the Star Wars films. Paramount Pictures is with the, uh, the um, Indiana Jones films. So different guild uh, contracts, uh, so it doesn't make any difference there. But, yeah, Lucas quit the, the guild because there was this disagreement over the, cr- the credits for Irvin Kirshner on uh, Empire Strikes Back. They fined them for not obeying. Obeying the credit rules, and they're very strict rules. For example, they don't like you to have multiple directors. You know, the the Cohen brothers were only able to finally get out of that one. You know, they they've always co-directed their movies, but it took you know years for them to get the uh, Directors Guild to agree to let them um, be co-directors in the credits. So Robert no- Rodriguez, he too had to deal with that Robert with Rodriguez, Sin City. Absolutely. You know, so there, there are all of these little things that DGA really is very particular about. And uh, one of them is credits. You know, your credits are either at the beginning of the film or at the end of the film. And if they're at the beginning, the last one is the director. And if they're at the end, the first one is the director. And I guess on, on Empire Strikes Back, there was a Lucasfilm credit at the beginning of the film that somehow made it look like or seemed to them like Lucas was claiming to be the principal artist. And then they put Kirshner's name at the end and they felt that was a violation and that's where it all begins and ends and it's not really clear to me my wife would be able to answer this much more clearly than I could but I think at a certain point those regulations just become totally confusing to everybody especially because if 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 the name of Lucas's company was was blim blam sweet potato pie yeah you wouldn't have this problem but the name of Lucas's production company includes Lucas's name yeah so when that was on the front of Empire Strikes Back I think the DGA considered that to them that constituted opening credits yep so you cannot put Irvin Kirshner's name as the first name in the end credits it, it, it gets pretty in the weeds but it, th- it's really in the weeds I think to add to but to, to boil it down all of this has nothing to do with why Spielberg never directed any of the Star Wars films no absolutely not that that I mean it may be that he just couldn't hire any because Richard Marquand was not a member of the DGA at the time he did uh, uh, Return of the Jedi I believe he, he, Richard Marquand yes he was not a DGA member correct he was yeah. not he was yeah. a British director he was, yeah. he, was, he was not an American DGA he was not an American Guild director right Director's Guild of America he was a, a little known British director at the time Oh, uh, well, thank you, Alexander. That was a really good question. Wow, Alexander. Yeah. Make dig, them simpler next time. Digging deep. Uh, we're What's hit... two plus two, Wade? Two plus two is... Uh, uh, yeah, Alexander, ask yeah. that. All right, we're going to blow through some uh, really cool docs right now. And God you know what? damn it. Mark, you know, what's hap- you know what's happening in the UK right now? Spock. 
Huh? You know what's happening in the UK right now? Something I don't care about, the Olympics. That's right. So that's why I'm going to talk for a second about PBS's Queen and Country. Yay, Queen and Country. Uh, this is all about the, the Queen's uh, 60th, you know, whatchamacallit, the diamond, uh, what's it, cherries, jubilee thing. You know what? It really is amazing that she's <laughs> she's been on the throne for 60 years. I know. Seriously. You know what they say? It's like, just or get off the throne. Right. But, I mean, she must be the longest Not serving. Yet. Not yet. I mean, even Kim Jong-il didn't like her. Uh, well, you know, Queen Victoria is her, what, her great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother? She's still alive? Uh, she is. She's still... She's, she's still, 206 years old. Yeah. And uh, I think she's got, like, three more years to pass Queen Victoria's reign. Really? So she's got to she's got to hang with us for like another three years. I mean, they have some good genes in that family. I'll yeah, tell they you. Yeah, do. Queen Mother, she was she was sousing the brandy well over a hundred years. So anyway, Queen and Country is a PBS uh, look at the at the Cherries Jubilee or the Diamond Jubilee or whatever they call it. And uh, it's actually called the Bananas Foster. That's what it is. Anyway, <laughs> it's fine. It's lovely. It's uh, you know it, it goes hand in hand with the Olympics right now. It's uh, you know it's a little fluffy. And then uh, also from PBS, Julia Child's French classics. I uh, because Mark and I are so into food these days, we've really become foodies in our old age, and uh, I, I have a whole newfound appreciation for Julia Child. And this is lovely. Uh, she is not just entertaining, but the stuff really does work, believe it or not. So um, we get great uh, demonstrations here for things like coq au vin, which is really good, quiche Lorraine, which is just extraordinary, uh, French onion soup, wonderful, and uh, some fantastic desserts that I, uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to execute because they look really difficult. But the onion soup, that I can do. Onion soup? Onion soup. Who who cannot make onion soup? No, I'm saying I can. I can't do the desserts, but I can do onion soup. Got it. I I gave you a good cookie before we started the show. That was a good cookie. It was a chocolate chocolate cookie. It was a really good cookie. I'm I'm very impressed. Thank you. Moist and tasty, and you even put a little bit of that. You flecked some some baker's uh, sugar on it. Yeah, some powdered sugar. That was very nice. Icing sugar. Thank you very much. Very nice touch. Actually, uh, uh, the the last batch of it, I I undercooked them so thoroughly, accidentally, but I, I like totally undercooked them. That um, they kind of fell apart, so I, I ate them myself. Uh, it was, it was, it was. I mean, it was a delicious mistake. I just wouldn't serve it to anybody. Uh, of course. Uh, anyway, uh, there's a great documentary available on uh, DVD from the Smithsonian Channel called MLK: The Assassination Tapes. This uh, the the show originally ran on the National Geographic Channel in uh, 2009, and uh, you know this is one of the better documentaries about the final moments of uh, Martin Luther King's life. Obviously, there has to be some condensing of information because otherwise the documentary would be three days three days long, which it can't be. But uh, it's great. It's really terrific. It looks good. Uh, the, uh, the producer, uh, Jennings, Tom Jennings, he produced it. He did a great job on it. He really gets you right in the middle there, and the information is very clear and concise and dry, and he doesn't make it too emotional. You know, he doesn't try to kind of lard it with emotion. He just sort of tells you just the facts, ma'am, because the facts are interesting enough, and it feels very comprehensive and uh, very definitive, and it's called MLK, The Assassination Tapes. You know, I was just thinking this the other day. I would really love to read, like, a, I, I've never read a book, a biography of Martin Luther King. I'd like to read one. I would, too. I would too. There and was a story about Martin Luther King about how, like, there, there was like another assassination attempt on his life, and he was shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll tell the story almost totally wrong, but this is the yeah. gist of it. He was he was at some rally, and he got got shot, and he walked into the emergency room, 
to get himself treated. And the, uh, the doctor said that the bullet was so close to his heart that he, he could easily have been dead. Wow. But Martin Luther King was so calm and just such a calm presence, just a calm soul, a calm person in the world that he could literally get shot with a bullet resting have, within millimeters of his heart and have the presence walk of mind into walk the in, hospital amazing. and then nothing happens. That's wow. how calm this guy was. It, it, the story is something like that. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, Bill Moyers, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a bunch of box sets of Bill Moyers uh, specials, and these tend to skew a little bit older, but it's still really good stuff. This is Bill Moyers on addiction close to home, and um, this is all about addiction, any kind of addiction, and the fact is that addiction can happen to anyone, and this is a, uh, it was a five-part series. It was very highly acclaimed. People really loved it because it was very comprehensive, again, like the MLK one. And it was very, this one was very emotional because... It's not Dr. Drew, let's put it that it's way. It's not Dr. Drew. And, you know, but it also gets into some of the science, how, how, the, the, how the, the brain chemistry literally changes, how professionals treat drug addicts, how you got to, there's always a danger of one drug addict passing it down to the next yeah. generation mm. and how to break that cycle. So this is good stuff. Bill Moyers on addiction close to home. Again, it does skew a little bit older, but if you have any of this in your family, uh, you would really get a lot out of it. Uh, Bill Moyers. Lovely. Yes, Wade? I'm going to talk about nature right now, Mark. Nature. nature. What has nature ever done for us? Well, you know, nature. I, I saw. By the way, I saw the new Ron Fricky film, uh, Samsara, which goes along with Koyana Skatsi and Baraka and all that stuff. I saw that the other day. Dud. Uh, you know what? It's both amazing and tedious. Dud. Uh, we've got a great PBS nature special here. It's on DVD and on Blu-ray, The White Lions. And uh, this, is, this is really actually, normally I would be kind of snarky about this, but um, white lions, I didn't even realize there are these, like, uh, these cool white lions. They have them in Vegas. Yeah, but... but oh, like, actually, that's white tigers. Those are white tigers. Oh. These are white lions. <laughs> and um, this is extraordinary. They were born in uh, 2009 in South Africa, in this park in South Africa. And uh, the, it's really, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating look at uh, kind of, you know, a, a, a mutation that um, really shouldn't make that much of a difference in why we find them fascinating. But it, it's very, very well done. And uh, it's typically excellent in the way that all these nature shows are. And if you watch it on Blu-ray, you'll just be enthralled. The photography is just lovely. Uh, from First Run Features, we have a thing here uh, called Patagonia Rising. And uh, Patagonia, for those who don't know, is, of course, the southernmost tip of uh, Argentina and South America, which is, you know, we don't think much about it, but it really is almost to Antarctica. I mean, they have penguins there, and it's a, it's a totally unique place that was, to a certain degree, settled by the Welsh. And uh, they still have a very uh, kind of almost rustic cowboy culture, and it's just, it's, it's a really fascinating look at this uh, amazing place where they have all of these uh, hydroelectric dams that are actually going to totally change the, the landscape. And uh, this is kind of about how that's potentially going to all come to an end and everything's going to be transformed. So it's, a, it's a, you know, both disturbing and beautiful at the same time. Very well done. Uh, good job by director Brian Lilla. And then we also have a four-part uh, high-definition Blu-ray here of Shark Divers. And uh, we've all seen this before. You know, the guys who go down in cages and they, they taunt the sharks and the sharks ram the cage and you go, what, is that guy crazy? But it's, uh, it's a little bit more than that. And there are four episodes here. Shark Divers, Shark Business, Whale Sharks, Gentle Giants, and Giants of San Benedicto. And uh, sharks can get a little old after a while, but the, the high-def photography is so, so impressive. And then uh, a sister, com like a companion Blu-ray to that, is Earth from Above. 
And this is a labor of love, courtesy of uh, an environmentalist filmmaker, uh, Jan Artus Bertrand. And uh, the whole point of this is uh, really about sustainability. It's uh, food and wildlife conservation. And uh, it is, uh, it's really meant to be kind of a visual documentary testimonial to the ecosystems that we live in. And uh, I don't know if it really completely... I mean, it's got several episodes here, you know, on how many people need to be fed and what's necessary to, uh, to actually feed us and how that impacts the environment. You know, we're just this, like humans are this voracious species that need to eat and consume so much in terms of energy and food and everything else that it's wiping out the, uh, you know, the ecosystems that remain. But I don't know how much of that fully comes through, but it's awfully, awfully well done. So if it doesn't come through, you know, consciously, it certainly comes through subconsciously. And then Cracking the Koala Code, another episode of Nature, which is on a fabulous, beautiful-looking Blu-ray from uh, PBS. And I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I honestly, they're, they're all whatever mysteries exist regarding the, uh, the, the koala world and the koala society, I don't care. They're just, they're just cute. And this is all about how they communicate. And uh, you know what? It's great. I'm glad somebody's working on that. But I just think they're cute. That's, I just want to, you know, I know you're not supposed to have them as pets, but they're just cool and fuzzy. And I like them. You know what? Uh, Like a capuchin monkey, where they seem like they'd be a cool pet, but a capuchin monkey would be a horrible pet. Yeah. Unless you have a huge backyard and are prepared to take care of it. Anyway, um, there is a, uh, there's a show, Wade. Um. Top Gear is a really great show, and I think the best thing on Top Gear is probably James May. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, I mean, he's kind of the, uh, he's like the smart guy on that show. And so BBC gave him another show called uh, James May's 20th Century. Now, in this show, uh, whose episodes you can watch on a DVD called James May's 20th Century from the good people at Athena, uh, this is the show that where James kind of goes out into the world and explains all these great technological advances of the past century. Uh, he flies in a supersonic jet, and there's good visuals, too, where, like he drops a Mini Cooper onto this huge sheet of glass to see if the glass breaks, and he goes into one of those like uh, those G4 simulators where you go around and around. He has a fun job. He does have a fun job. Although that, those G4 simulators, I would just barf, and then as I came around, I'd swallow my own barf and then swallow it and then throw it up again and then swallow it again. Because those things are disgusting. Anyway, uh, so it's a good show. It's a fun show. And also, there's a bonus uh, DVD here. It's called uh, James May's Big Ideas. This is a uh, three-hour bonus program, which uh, is also pretty interesting. I kind of like Big Ideas better because I kind of like, oh, it's like that thing of like, how was this stuff invented? You know, how does, how does supersonic, uh, how was supersonic flight invented? I find that interesting, you know? Um, like robots, uh, you know, like the show gets into robots, you know, like examining robots. How do robots get invented? How do they do what they do? I kind of like that stuff. I invent and, robots. And ja- what? And James May is a great, uh, he's kind of a great guide through the world of 20th century inventions. So I would recommend, especially if you like Top Gear, uh, James May's 20th century, Wade. Fantastic. Phantasmagorical. And, and then our last three docs here. Um, two that I find a little bit tedious one that I think is really uh, pretty terrific Jiro Dreams of Sushi a lot of people love this I think it's kind of tedious but this is a Magnolia documentary it's on Blu-ray this was a big deal at Tribeca last year and uh, Jiro is like the wait it's called Trebeca 
It, yeah, Not whatever. Tribeca. Tribeca. Thank you. Jiro uh, <laughs> is the this guy is like the greatest sushi chef of all time. He his his sushi restaurant in Japan. You can't get reservations, and he's just considered the master of sushi. Mark would just die and go to heaven, and it's it's expensive as hell. And uh, this is all about the whole Zen lifestyle that goes around the way that he you know gets his fish and makes his sushi. And it's it's like it's beyond fish. It's beyond food. It's a whole philosophy of you know Zen Buddhism wrapped around rice and raw fish. It's really just you know it would be a great doc if i were even the least bit interested in this but i'm, I'm not really but uh it, it's you know i guess for people who love sushi and who love uh you know the philosophy of food it's it's been a big deal and i know a lot of people would love it it just it's really kind of tedious and drawn out for me and then we also have a pbs documentary why ships sink from nova and uh, this was obviously done very, very quickly after that thing, uh, you know, took a wrong turn down near Italy and that whole disaster happened. Uh, what was that thing called, the, the the name of that damn Italian ship when the guy's showing off oh, the Czech the, model? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the uh, not the Achille Lauro. The, yeah, uh, thank you. The, the pizza pie. Yeah, that one. Anyway, you know, the guy, he's like, he's like showing off for the Czech model and they uh, ran aground and, uh, and then he jumped off and everybody started drowning. And they're like, aren't you supposed to go down with the ship? And he's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going for help. Oh, he Whatever. went down all right. Yeah, he did. Anyway, so they threw a thing together on why ships sink, which is, uh, you know, it's, uh, Costa Concordia. That's, That's it, it, the Costa Concordia. So anyway, this was all thrown together in the, in the wake of that just to sort of, uh, you know, answer a lot of questions. And it doesn't really, it sort of makes me feel a lot more insecure. And then what's terrific is Never Stand Still, Dancing at Jacob's Pillow. Jacob's Pillow is like an old farmhouse in upstate um, Massachusetts or whatever part. What, what's that part of Massachusetts? Not upstate. It's like, upstate, it's like upstate New York, but it's the... Uh, New England. No, no, it's in it's Massachusetts, Boston. but it's a uh, it's a certain part of Massachusetts, the very sort of pastoral, uh, naturey part, uh, the Berkshires. That's it, the Berkshires. Anyway, this is in the Berkshires. It's a historical monument, and it hosts the uh, the, the world's greatest dance festival every year, and it's amazing. And uh, people from all over the world, all different styles, they all come together, and they you know sort of trade their their knowledge, and they mix and match and fuse, and uh, it's absolutely delightful. I thought this thing was. Um, Really, really interesting, and the best part of it was that for just a few seconds, Bill Irwin shows up. And uh, even though he's not in a huge amount of it, Bill Irwin is just such an amazing American legend and such a great performer and such a, an extraordinary link to the past that just having him sort of contextualize this thing, I thought, gave uh, all kinds of depth to it. So I, uh, I really enjoyed this. And, uh, you know, no matter what kind of dance you think you like or don't like, this is really a, a lovely documentary. Uh, wait, two things that aren't lovely is uh, 4321. Now, Noel Clark is a uh, British writer whose uh, show, Cadulthood, that's not a show, it's a movie. His movie, Cadulthood, uh, Cadulthood? is called oh, Cadulthood. Yeah, and there was a I sequel know. called Adulthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, Noel Clark, obviously, he likes to think he writes uh, well for teens. So he has decided that uh, he's going to go ahead and make this thing called uh, 4321. Which is about uh, which he co-directed, and uh, it's about these uh, these teenage girls, and they go on a diamond heist. But it's, it's very kind of uh, it's very posy and very frenetically paced, and there's lots of you know cool Brit you know youngster slang in it. It it really is kind of it's really catering to that that teen girl crowd who would just go nuts yeah, yeah. over something like this. Is like slick, kind of like, like the next one you're going to talk about. Actually, well, 4321 is terrible. Anyway, okay. so um, the next one is even worse. The next one is a, a film from earlier this year that was just completely dumped out on, uh, I think it was like last May, called LOL. LOL is a, uh, uh, it's well, it's, um, there's a French film. 
in 2008 called LOL Laughing Out Loud, which is kind of well received in, uh, in, in, in France. This American version, which is totally terrible, <clears throat> stars Miley Cyrus. That's, you know, she has a good, I mean, Miley Cyrus notwithstanding. This is not a bad cast. Miley Cyrus, uh, Demi Moore, Ashley Green, Marlo Thomas, which is bizarre. My goodness, that's weird. Uh, Nora Dunn, Gina Gershon, Fisher Stevens. That is a good cast. It's not a bad cast. No. Anyway, so uh, this is uh, Miley's kind of first real substantial leading role, and she just is terrible. She has no charisma. I'm sure she's a great singer, and I'm sure she's a great performer on stage, but as a uh, movie actress, it's not going to happen. I mean, Plus, this is a, apart from the Hannah Montana movie, we should point out, which is just an extension of her TV show. That's, this is her, yeah, first, this is like he's, her first adult attempt at doing something. Crafting that, a character yeah, yeah, exactly. that is like a real like adult movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, this movie is just uh, absolutely terrible. And yet, what, you, what, what annoys me, too, which maybe won't annoy its target audience... Is that this thing just like names drop? It just name drops Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and LOL yeah, and texting. And like it just tries to just be totally shameless with like how teens speak, and it's just it's just stupid, totally stupid. Anyway, uh, that's all I can say because this movie sucks. <laughs> What can I say? Something? You know, uh, I like dragon movies. I admit it. Uh, oh, the, no, you know what dragon movie I like? What do you like? Rain of Fire. Oh, I love Rain of Fire. Awesome. That's what I was just going to say. I, I love Rain of Fire. I really do. I, I have a total yen for Rain of Fire. Uh, just because it's guys fighting dragons. And, uh, you know, there are bad dragon movies and good ones. And the bad ones are the ones where the dragons get a little too friendly and talky. And the good ones are where the dragons are just, they're just mean and just asking for it. And uh, that's why I kind of have a soft spot for Age of the Dragons. Even though this is uh, not kind of an A-list film, this is direct-to-video stuff. Got a decent cast. Got Vinnie Jones in it, who I've always always liked. And Danny Glover, who, even though he's uh, certifiably crazy these days, uh, he still, you know, he can still pull it off on screen. Danny Glover still, he, he brings the weight. He brings the heavy. And uh, it's, it's perfectly fine. You know, if you like guys fighting dragons, this will uh, do it for you. Um... I don't know why they call him Captain Ahab, because that's sort of just a little bit too obviously referential to uh, Moby Dick. But, uh, you know, for a medieval movie about uh, fighting dragons and trying to get revenge against a dragon, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's fine. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Moby Dick obviousness really has to go. So if you just kind of let that slide and just focus on good acting and, you know, nice medieval backdrop and killing dragons, it's cool. Wade... Treasure Island. Oh, no. Yes, there was, there was a uh, last year, actually earlier this year. It was a sci-fi, wasn't it? It was, a, yeah. It was a four-hour made-for-TV yeah. uh, movie. It uh, aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. It I, stars, saw commer- uh, I saw commercials. <laughs> That's the best you could do. I saw commercials, and I, and I, and I thought, really? Eddie Izzard? Really? Eddie Izzard is Long John Silver with like his little peg leg. Oh, oh no. no. Eddie Izzard is like uh, evening dress silver. That's what he is. He's not wearing Long Johns. He's wearing an evening dress. Petticoat silver. Petticoat silver? I'll I'll get it right. I will. I'll I'm, I'm I'll get the material will work. I, seriously, I'm going to take this to a club. You'll love it. People will laugh. I'll kill. I won't bomb. Carry on. I'm le- I'm letting that joke. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting that joke die. Just a horrible death by just being totally silent. Anyway, um, this movie really isn't that bad. There's a bunch of liberties taken with the uh, with the Stevenson uh, original. And I think the Occupy Wall Street people will probably see some certain, uh, they'll see some parallels in the story, you know, about uh, wealth and, you know, who's rich and who's not rich and whatnot. But uh, so ultimately, this is really not that bad. I think that um, people who are completely 
uh, enamored of the novel will not like this because, again, it does take a bunch of liberties. And there's a bunch of special features um, I'm making of some cast interviews with Eddie Izzard, Elijah Wood, and uh, and uh, that's pretty much it, actually. <laughs> that's all I care about. Yeah. Because Donald Sutherland wasn't interviewed. But uh, anyway, it's, it's a good-looking Blu-ray, though. It was well shot. Um, now, Wade, uh, for some reason, there's like this... Uh, and I'm not sure if this started with... Um, uh, what's his name with... Uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. But all these rap, all these uh, wrestlers. Yeah. They all want to be actors. I know. Is How come funny? rap stars want to be actors? Wrestlers want to be actors. Singers want to be actors. Can't you just be what you like, what you already are? I don't know. I mean, how about how about that for a concept? But then again, I could see how like you know. A wrestler would want to do something else because yeah. I mean you you can't wrestle forever because you'll get old and your bones will break. Um, anyway, Randy Couture stars in Hijacked, a truly terrible movie about a uh, he plays a special agent who's trying to reconcile with his former fiance, and he goes gets aboard a private plane, and there's hijackers on the plane. Uh, this is really terrible. In fact, except for uh, The Rock. Who I like. I think The Rock is totally charming. I think that guy is awesome. I think he's starting to die a little bit. You know, he's picked all. He, he, he some a, bad films. He's trying to be too too family guy. Yeah, he picked yeah. some bad. He made some yeah. bad choices, and now he's kind of sputtering a little bit. But uh, Randy Couture is totally dead on arrival. Um, he, you know, and, and even he, even in The Expendables, a film that I thoroughly did not like, um, he's even bad in that. I mean, although he should be doing those sorts of films, he Randy should be, you know, the fourth banana. In the Expendables, he should not be top lining crap like uh, hijacked. Yeah. Uh, finally, there's a uh, little thing here we call ATM. Wait, wait, what, what does ATM stand for? Uh, automated uh, teller machine, or um, automated uh, terror machine. What? Oh. oh my God, it's what it is. Because it's an automated teller machine, and these three bank workers, or they're not bank workers, these three co-workers, they get like trapped in like this eight, they're trapped in a bank, like an ATM yeah, kiosk great. thing with this 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 guy who's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this stars a bunch of people you never heard of, except for Alice Eve, who's sort of on the cusp of you know some sort of strange yeah. fame. Um, Anyway, it's about these three people. They they leave the Christmas party together. They decide to go into an ATM, one of those ATMs that you sort of like walk into. And um, there's a, there's, a, there's this crazy guy, and he's going to kill him, and that's what it's about. Yeah. And you think, the thing with the director, um, David Brooks, he's only directed two films. This is the first uh, feature-length film he's directed. But he was, a, he, was an, uh, he was an associate producer on For All Mankind. Oh, my, really? But not that one. A oh. really crappy one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I freaked you out. Well, Total Recall, Mark. Back in 2006, Total Recall hit Blu-ray, and everybody was unbelievably underwhelmed. And uh, now that uh, the new Total Recall, directed by Len Wiseman and starring his wife, Kate Beckinsale, and uh, a lot of other people who really should know better, including Colin Farrell, uh, is about to hit screens on Friday, they are re-releasing the original Total Recall so that we are reminded how much better a film it is undoubtedly going to wind up being even though it is itself kind of cheesy in that Verhoeven way. Uh, the, uh, and isn't that weird? The Total Recall is now 22 years old. I know. Isn't that bizarre? It's sad. It doesn't seem that old. Um, so uh, this is the, the new mind-bending edition, which uh, 
What does yeah. that mean, Wade? It basically means they went back and tried to correct the mistakes of the previous one and clean it up. And you get a little bit of restoration uh, stuff on here. Uh, interview with Verhoeven, commentary with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Verhoeven, and some you know other stuff. I will say it's not really as mind-bending as they think it is. They didn't really go back and do like a full-blown restoration. More like mind-curving. They 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 just did basically a better transfer, and uh, it is a better transfer, but it's not as as just stunning as it should be. So they really should have gone much much uh, further to the wall with this one, and, and really really just given it a crazy unbelievable special edition release. But they didn't. Nonetheless, it, it's worth upgrading definitely. It's way better than the previous one, that's for sure. And uh, then we have from the wonderful Warner Archive collection. Woo! We were talking about Gene Kelly last week and Singing in the Rain and uh, what an amazing career Gene Kelly had. You know, there are some MGM films with Gene Kelly that a lot of people have probably never heard of. And these are from the Warner Archive collection. And Warner, of course, has those old MGM films, thanks to Ted Turner. You can only get this at warnerarchive.com. And uh, the one is The Devil Makes Three, and the other one is One Man Against the Black Hand. The title of the movie is Black Hand, but uh, it's, you know, when you read the tagline with it, it's just, uh, it's just much cooler. Uh, Black Hand features Gene Kelly in a dramatic part, which is not quite right for him, but it's interesting. You know, he, he, he handles, and uh, it's certainly him trying to sort of find his place as an actor and where he belongs on the screen. So it's interesting from that standpoint. And uh, then in uh, The Devil Makes Three, this is just strictly straightforward, you know, war-era stuff. And uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it takes place after World War II, but it's very much still in the, in the gung-ho spirit of, of all that stuff, where they, uh, they just basically wanted to still keep everybody's patriotic spirit going. So it feels like a, uh, a late propaganda film. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it, uh, it certainly is a nice artifact. It tells you a lot about the, uh, the environment in which the, uh, the World War II genre had sort of dovetailed after the war and how they were sort of trying to make use of the post-war environment to continue to make films that still dealt with a lot of the same themes, even though the war was no longer on. So uh, that being said, that's, a, that's a certainly an interesting film for Gene Kelly fans as well to check out. So I would recommend The Devil Makes Three and uh, the very interesting Black Hand for Gene Kelly fans. And with that, we are out of time. So if you need to uh, ask us any questions, complain, send us a Vox Box, whatever it is, you can do so at gods at digigods.com. We are always reachable. And, uh, Mark, uh, I think that does it for this week. So uh, you should watch some Olympics, really. Which, 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 uh, which event should I watch? That would really encapsulate why you love the Olympics. Women's soccer. Yeah.